Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Jack Luke and I'm a greedy boy, so today I decided to invite two of my best boys along, Matthew Loveridge and Simon Bromley, to join me for today's podcast. And today we're going to be talking through latest greatest news highlights from the past week on bike radar um the start of the week we kicked things off with a bit of a mountain bike tech news bonanza with santa cruz fox and hope all launching new products and you can head to bikeradar.com to see the full scoop on those i definitely recommend looking at the santa cruz story as the new blur moves away from santa cruz's older vpp design to a more conventional suspension design very interesting if you're into that kind of things. I used to have a blur back in the day, so it made me quite rueful from my youthful days shredding the gnar. Um, but today we're going to be talking through more of a roadie side of things because none of us touch flat bars these days. Uh, and we're going to kick things off with a pretty simple story. And that is that the Pinarello, what is most probably the F-14, has been spotted being ridden. Simon, tell us more. Yeah. So I, it, was, it was spotted at the Giro a couple of weeks ago. Fausto Pinarello turned up with a chrome-painted uh, bike, which was incredibly uh, bold and cool. And I've, you know, I would love to see Team Ineos riding those. But we saw it again uh, yesterday on Richard Carapaz, his Instagram, and which was interesting as well because he was riding a rim brake version, which confirms that there will be a rim brake version. So Pinarello are obviously not forcing Ineos to switch to disc brakes, which I no doubt will cause plenty of controversy and we'll be able to wheel out some more column inches on that. I don't think I've ever done a podcast with you, Simon, where we haven't referred reference to rim brakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I mean, it, you know, this is going to literally go on forever, and uh, which is good because it keeps, it keeps us in a job. For those of us who slightly lost interest in the subject, um, what is Ineos's real justification for sticking to rim brakes these days? Is it simply bike availability or is it bloody mindedness? 
I, th I think it's a mixture of um, rim brake bikes being slightly lighter and I, and I think that has been an issue for them according to rumors uh, the dogma is a reasonably heavy frame set uh, you know it, it's, it's a kind of a, it's an aero bike really rather than a climbing bike so it's a reasonably heavy frame set but considering that's the kind of the own you know they Pinarello doesn't make a kind of an ultra lightweight climbing bike and then a kind of full-on aero bike they only make that one Obviously, they do a kind of endurance road bike as well, but you know we, we're not really going to see them riding that in the World Tour. Uh, I think the other reason is wheel changes. It's just quicker to change wheels between teammates if you're on quick releases, and I think that's about it. So it's weight and wheel changes. Hard to argue with that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of fair enough. Yeah, it's kind of fair enough. So. Um, and what changes are we seeing with the new bike compared to what would be the outgoing F12? Not that many, really. It's a kind of redesigned the down tube slightly, I think, to maybe be slightly more aero with a bottle, which is a nice idea because obviously you know, always run bottles on a road bike, so you should take them into account. And then at the uh, chainstays, the kind of chainstay junction to the seat tube appears to have changed slightly. And, um, and that's about it. They still haven't discovered rulers. Have they? <laughs> oh, Matthew, I, I was about to make a joke along those lines. I was about to say the Princeton Wheelworks wheels, which have a very distinctive wavy profile, kind of mean that there's not a single straight edge on that entire bike. I suppose yeah, the spikes very... are straight, aren't they? <laughs> it's a very curvy bike. I mean, you know, I'm sure it'd be lovely. I'm sure Pinarello will also, when we, you know, when we eventually get a press release or whatever, they'll say that actually everything's changed and we're idiots. So, yeah, we may have missed some incredibly yes. important detail of this bike that um, speaks to the future of bike design. And I will say one thing, Penarello's bikes are very distinctive. And you cannot say that yes. about a lot of modern race bikes these days because there has been a lot of design convergence. But, you know, the Dogma does still stand out as a bike. And whatever you think of its looks, it, it's very kind of muscular and assertive. One could say they've taken quite a dogmatic approach to ensuring they don't oh put any straight God. lines on their bike. Can you tell it's a Friday afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I agree, Matthew. And for what it's worth, I actually think the Dogma is quite a good-looking bike. Um, and, and yeah, I think the fact that it kind of stands out amongst the sea of uh, bikes that just use, you know, kind of straight camtail, aerofoil tubes, dropped seat stays, all of that stuff. Like, you know, I'm all for a bit of design uh, differences. So yeah, I quite like it. All right. Well, moving on to other things, we heard the scintillating news that Jaguar, the car manufacturer, has completed an Everesting record in one of its electric vehicles. And Matthew, you had a hot take about this. Um, yeah, so obviously this is a PR stunt. Uh, what Jaguar did was uh, they took their I-Pace, which is their reasonably luxurious um, sort of family electric car. It's a totally separate platform to all their other cars. Uh, and they did something which is an entire, it's a cycling feat. Everesting is riding the amount of elevation it takes to climb Mount Everest in a single ride. And most people who do it, they go up and down the same hill several times. So Jaguar took the car to Great Dunfell in the Pennines, rode up it. 16.2 times and to uh, add a tenuous cycling connection they got Eleanor Barker who is an Olympian to do it really great cyclist um, and obviously it's a bit silly because you know it's not a feat of cycling endurance to drive a car up and down a hill and in that sense it's totally uninteresting and irrelevant although <laughs> only slightly more uninteresting and irrelevant than watching people do it on bicycles because that is also quite tedious 
Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I just I thought it was quite a funny story, and it made me think uh, what other kind of cycling events could we appropriate for the purposes of marketing cars um and that i'd suggest you go and read the article on bike radar but suggestions included gravel riding so you just take your car to the woods and hang floppy luggage all over it and then uh put that on instagram <laughs> uh, which as jack then pointed out is essentially what overlanding is uh uh you could also uh do fixed gear driving so just drive everywhere in second gear um <laughs> I don't know. I have, I mean, obviously it's, it's purely a marketing exercise. And, you know, if you watch that video, um, which has some very natural dialogue in it, it's, it's just somebody driving a car up and down a hill. Um, but at the same time, I think we're broadly in favor of electric cars at bike rider. If, if we're going to share the roads with other vehicles, electric cars are, I think, preferable to combustion engine powered ones. Uh, they're you know quieter better for the planet and all that um i'd quite happily have a go in a jaguar i-pace if jaguar would like to lend me one simon what would you bring from your uh we'll call you time trial expertise into the world of driving how could you further optimize your driving experience well i think uh, yeah imagine matthew did mention it in um in his article he uh, which made me laugh and sort of like kind of custom aero modifications are encouraged really got me <laughs> i thought that was very good and yeah I, I love the idea of uh yeah just driving up and down a dual carriageway and recording your time obviously the problem is you have to stick to the speed limits well i th this is going a bit off course but there is actually a sub hobby we'll call it in the world of driving called ultra miling which involves reducing as much weight as possible hypermiling hyperman you're right hypermiling <laughs> Um, removing as much weight as possible from your car and driving very efficiently and basically trying to eke out as much as you possibly can per gallon with your car. I have to say, Simon, you are definitely the sort of person I could see getting into that. That sounds quite attractive to me. I, I'm, you know, as, <laughs> as someone who doesn't like to spend money unnecessarily, I am quite concerned with fuel economy and part of, you know, you know, I'm a very considerate driver. I like to drive well within the speed limit and I don't mind driving slowly if it means I can save a bit of petrol. Maybe that's what we'll do in our next podcast. We'll see how efficiently you can drive to the next time trial. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also saw Rafa, a brand which is very much uh, associated with road cycling, though it has dabbled in gravel on and off across the years. It is now finally moved into mountain biking, releasing a full range of what it has dubbed performance trail wear. And it's definitely what we'd call a premium offering in the mountain bike kit world and is clearly going head to head with the likes of say Troy Lee, um, though it is a little bit more subtle in its overall design. Road boys on this call, what do you think about this new kit? I um, oh, well, come at this from a road perspective, like you say. And so my reaction is that like most Rafa kit, it looks quite nice. Um, it's, it's stylish, it's fairly understated. It's in keeping with the sort of earthy tones that um, a lot of gravel kit now comes in. At the same time, knowing the uh, aesthetic to which mountain bikers typically cleave uh, pajamas, pajamas uh, <laughs> brightly colored pajamas um, and knowing that mountain bikers do place great stock in brands like Troy Lee. Uh, I just, I wonder if any mountain bikers are actually going to existing mountain bikers that is are actually going to buy this. So I could see roadies who are thinking of dabbling on the mountain bike side, definitely wanting this stuff. And maybe some gravel riders will buy it when they want a more casual fit than the kind of dedicated road and gravel kit. Uh, but it, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I just cannot imagine 
that most mountain bikers who are moved by the sort of monster energy aesthetic that dominates mountain biking, <laughs> I, just, I just cannot imagine them buying Rafa kit. But maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong about that. I, th- I you know, I, I think Rafa probably knows that, and I think that they probably are catering to their audience of, as you say, kind of road and now gravel cyclists. And you know, there are probably a lot of people. You know, Rafa's not a cheap brand, and you know. If you can afford to buy Rafa kit, then maybe you can afford a mountain bike as well. And maybe you're thinking about dabbling in it. And, you know, I guess before Rafa came along, you know, the, there was a kind of monster energy aesthetic to road cycling as well, wasn't there back? And so, you know, there was a market there that wasn't tapped for kind of classic, classically styled, more subtle kit. And maybe there is an underserved uh, group of mountain bikers who just want to chill, guys. I think that's a really fair point, actually. And we should really recognize how influential Rafa has been because we're used to now looking around at the range of available road kit and you know understated kind of classy-esque designs are very very fashionable now and loads of brands are doing it and there are a huge number of micro brands now that didn't exist a few years ago but most of those in particular the micro brands are riding the coattails of Rafa because Rafa came along as a lifestyle brand essentially originally and then kind of moved into the much more technical arena but the original Rafa thing was about the look the aesthetic it wasn't about performance and cycling really there's another you know you are totally right and there are there are brands like I'd say Kitsbow or Seven Mesh they make really really lovely mountain bike kit but it is pretty damn expensive and the Rafa stuff is by no means cheap but it is more affordable than that stuff so you know, I think you're probably right in mid-level groovy mountain bikers that want to look fashionable on the trail. I think they could see definitely sell a lot of it there. One thing I will say, which I really liked, as as always, an advocate of repair. Um, all of the Rafa kit comes with a repair kit for each individual thing you buy, a standard, which I think is totally admirable, particularly when it comes to stuff like patching, where you know you're unrealistically going to be able to get a perfect match if you tear a massive great hole in your kit. And being able to do that at home and also being encouraged to do it at home, I think is great. But as always, you do also have the uh, like lifetime free repair thing with Rafa, though I expect that probably won't cover stuff like waterproof jackets as it doesn't on the uh, roadside. Nonetheless, there's still nothing to be sniffed at. Finally, on Bike Radar, we run a feature called Long Term Reviews where Unlike most of our review kit, which we typically have for a month or maybe two months, we test it, right, publish the review, and then it goes back to the manufacturers. We have bikes where we tend to keep them for a longer period, normally up to around a year. And Simon's giant TCR Advanced Pro Disc, is that correct? Pro 2 Disc, I think, because of the, mo- the model disc. number. But otherwise, yeah, spot on, well done. I can't remember. I'm amazed I remember that. Anyway, he's had that for almost a year now. I think it was July last year he got it, and his full long-term review has become a truly epic (laughs) review i think it's close to ten thousand words now but it's been a really good read myself and lots of our readers have really enjoyed following along and today being friday you published your latest update to it and i just want to hear kind of how you've gone with the bike how you've enjoyed this process and maybe what you want to do for next year yeah so it's a really interesting process and um you know, like like you say, that you know, typically we don't get as much time as as we would perhaps like with review bikes, just because you know, when it's when it's a new a brand new bike, they, you know, they they tend to kind of go around the news outlets, and so we have a, maybe a short amount of time, just a few weeks with a bike, 
and you know we don't make any modifications to the bike because we're reviewing it as spec and then you know we have to kind of get our impressions done pretty quickly, write your view, get it up for a deadline. But obviously with the long-term process, like you say, I've, I've had a year on this bike now, so, and I've been able to make uh, changes, you know, which uh, I'm sure anyone who's kind of heard me already in my articles before know I'm a big fan of customizing things and making small changes and I, and I really pay attention to the details. So, so it's been a really good process and, um, you know, I was familiar with the kind of giant TCR as a platform. Like I, I have a, a rim brake TCR, a 2009 advanced SL model uh, before, whereas, so this one is kind of, you know, it's actually a very similar bike. It hasn't, you know, the, the, it's, it's funny, uh, you know, one of the things I touched on in the review is that the TCR when it kind of launched was really revolutionary in terms of road bike design and really kind of uh, was pushing the envelope. But now it's actually kind of quite a traditional frame and and so to say that the 2021 model is very similar in spirit to the 2009 model you know it's kind of both good and bad right like it's good because the 2009 bike is still a great bike but it's also i wonder if some people think like well it doesn't feel as kind of cutting edge as some of the other road bikes out there and and it, that that's kind of a value judgment rather than a kind of it's definitely good or it's definitely bad um Overall, it's, it's, it's a really lovely bike and, you know, it is a case of, I think it's a case of, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And, and like, it's a really good all round bike in the sense that it's kind of easy to live with. It doesn't have integrated cables at the front. It doesn't look quite as nice perhaps, but it means you can, you know, service it, change the stem, change the handlebar, all that sort of stuff. Like it's got clearance of 32 millimeter tires which is lovely. And that's one of the things I was kind of talking about in my latest update, you know, that adds a lot of versatility to a bike. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, if you want to see every single nuanced detail, Simon has very much gone into them, <laughs> every single change he's made. But the latest one I thought was particularly interesting, and, you know, I can tickle Matthew's pickle here. He even used the phrase gravel adjacent, Matthew, in his latest update, yes. which is one of your favourites. I, re I really appreciated that. Um, and I think it is one of the great things about the latest generation of road bikes is having disc brakes really has vastly increased their versatility, not just because of the braking, but because it means that big tire clearances are easily achievable and a significant proportion, I'd say most major uh, road bike manufacturers now are giving you much more generous tire clearances. And I think most of the race bikes we've seen launched in the last year have probably had clearance for at least a 30 mil tire. You've got, was it 32s on the TCR at the moment? Um, which I think is the official maximum, isn't it? Yeah, so I've got a set of um, Schwalbe Pro 1 uh, tubeless tyres on there. And yeah, they're, they're kind of designated 32 millimetres. But as always with these things, like the measured width when you actually inflate it obviously depends on the rim. And so on this bike, which has a rims with 19 millimetre internal width, they come up slightly small uh, at just around 31 millimetres. Now, I imagine if I pump them up to kind of like and that's at sort of 50, 55 PSI. If I pump them up to maybe, you know, 85 PSI or something like that, then maybe they would measure 32, but obviously a 32 millimeter tire at 85 PSI would be insanely uh, stiff. So I don't do that. Um, but yeah, like- But it's a lot of tire by traditional road bike standards. And it, it does mean that, like you say, you can ride on like dirt and light gravel and stuff quite happily. Yeah, absolutely. And so so the reason I put those tires on was because we, uh, this is earlier in the year now, but we did the uh, Raffa's A Day in Hell 
ride, which was a kind of like Paris Roubaix tribute ride, and they you know they've organised them around their regional bases. What were you saying about rapping yeah. and lifestyle brand? Yeah, but like this, this was a really you know the route was excellent, and uh, you know I highly highly recommend that it. That's great day. Out. And and so yeah, I was you know on on my previous uh, TCR, the tire clearance is very limited, especially around the kind of chainstay bottom bracket area. So really, you can only get a kind of maximum of a 20, 25, maybe a twenty seven if you're really stretching it, and your kind of wheels are perfectly true. And so that's 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 quite limiting for a bike that's so stiff. You know, it would be very uncomfortable and and all of those sorts of things. Whereas for this for this bike, you know, I was able to fit a thirty two millimeter tire with no issues at all and do this this ride, which had like gravel sections, farm tracks, you know, uh, kind of basically off road sections, and it didn't really pose a problem for it. It wasn't the most comfortable ride, but it certainly adds a lot of versatility to a bike and. Uh, yeah, like that's, you know, like I said, this may not be the kind of most cutting edge bike in terms of on, on paper, but it is a really incredibly versatile bike. And, you know, it, it's kind of an easy bike to live with as well. Like it doesn't use any funky standards or any kind of like, I don't know, there's nothing really too silly about it. And there's a lot to be said for a bike like that, I think. Of course, if you do want all those things, Giant has an all singing aero bike as well. Um, I, just, I was just going to say, I think, or rather, do you think there's something in that thing of having a very stiff, proper race bike, but then the finishing touch is the squishy tires? Because I quite like that combination because you get you still got all the stiffness and the kind of excitement of riding the stiff race bike, but you can take the edge off and add more versatility with nice squishy tires. I definitely think it's nice to have the choice. Yeah, for sure. Um, like. You know, I'm still running relatively narrow tires on my time trial bike, for example. Like I've got 23 millimeter tires on that, which kind of come up around 25, and that's primarily for aerodynamics. And I think like if the Giant had uh, this, you know, again I touched on this in the review. If it had slightly wider wheels in terms of their external width, I think then I probably would be more on board with running kind of 28s all the time because then there wouldn't be as much of an aero penalty penalty if the wheels could kind of smooth the airflow off those tires a bit better but yeah like having the choice is what you really really want because then yeah if you're going on a nice you know a basic a basic cycling holiday to Mallorca where all the roads are great then you can just run your 25 mil tires and be happy but if you live around here then you can put your big chunky tires on and not have to worry about getting beaten up I'd love to go on a basic cycling holiday to Mallorca <laughs> and eat buffet breakfasts and ride 100 miles a day it sounds absolutely heavenly and um, what is so is your next update to the bike your final one it is yes and do you think your conclusion is going to have changed a great deal from the early days of your reviews um not too much i think there was you know there was a period so my, my main issue with the bike surrounds the wheels and the fact that they have a, uh, a hookless design which basically means you're restricted to using only tubeless tires and for better or worse, Giant has been very stringent around doing safety testing for these wheels. And so that, you know, obviously that sounds absolutely fantastic and it is in one sense, but 
not very many tires have passed that testing so you're really restricted to as to what tires you can use on these wheels as, you know if you're sticking to kind of official guidelines which I would recommend you should <laughs> yeah you should. I really would recommend so and so and I, I there was a period you know kind of last year where I, I you know talking with Giant about this and they were saying that oh we you know we're testing tires all the time there's going to be a big update and you know the list is going to expand greatly and that hasn't really happened and obviously there has been you know, delays with the pandemic and all that stuff. And anyone, any brands who are kind of making new tires, those delays have probably been delayed. And so that's not Giant's fault. And I imagine this is the kind of thing that is all going to kind of resolve itself in a few years time because, you know, brands will simply update their designs to ensure compatibility with hookless rims because those are becoming, you know, not just from Giant, Zip make them as well. And, uh, you know, other brands are kind of moving to those as well because there are kind of, you know, manufacturing benefits. But as things stand right now, you know, the, the kind of fastest tires on the market, you know, say like the GP5000 tubeless or even some of the kind of, you know, nice clincher tires, like say a specialized turbo cotton, you know, those tires are not compatible with these wheels. So, you know, it's a kind of, it, it's a few watts here and there, and it's maybe a theoretical thing that doesn't really matter to most people, but I'm the kind of nerd who it really matters to. And, and I just don't like, choice being taken away you know i want that choice and so that's been a sticking point well we'll wait and see what happens you know it could well all turn around and we'll find out there's plenty in the list but speaking of choice simon simon bromley put you in the spot what bike do you want in 2021 <laughs> slash 22 long-term test bike? so like yeah I, I this is a really complicated one because i what i really want is a kind of bongo aero bike but there haven't been there haven't been uh, that that many released recently. Uh, I, I think aero bikes have kind of gone out of fashion a little bit. I think you know Specialized killed off the Venge and released an all-round bike, which really hurt my feelings. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll get a new Pinarello Dogma with you know yeah. <laughs> a top of the range group set and some something silly. You know I've 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 not had a silly bike yet. So yeah, you definitely should. You should get or maybe like I don't know. Sound fully custom. Yeah, yeah, a custom envy bike or something. You know, something, something reserved. And <laughs> uh, yeah, well, maybe people will be listening to your podcast, and through just you hammering on about it constantly, maybe you'll actually make aero bikes fashionable again. That could be a hashtag for you: make aero bikes cool. The problem again. is, if I if I use it, I don't think I've got that kind of influence. Maybe if you if you use it, Jack. Well, that's just just butter <laughs> Simon. Matthew, how about you? Actually, I should really ask. You had a Roubaix uh, as your long termer last year, but do you have one yet? I I don't Thursday? actually. Um, I I feel like a gravel bike might be on the cards, but watch the space. I'd say I I'm very much into bikes that give you versatility at the moment, and I really like the Roubaix because although it is a road bike, it was capable of a lot more. Um, so I might get something that's on, more on the gravel side, but which can also do road. So to kind of go the other way, but yeah, we'll see. And what just more generally out of curiosity, are you testing anything at the minute that you're particularly enamored by? No. <laughs> <laughs> you really liked the no. Grizzle, didn't oh. you recently? You really I, liked the I, Grizzle. Yeah, I loved the Canyon Grizzle. Excellent bike. Um, I've recently been riding the cheapest uh, Merida Reacto, which is their aero bike. I've been really pleasantly surprised by that bike. It's really good. Um, and it's in the current market, it's also quite good value, which, you know, prices have gone up everywhere. It's 
£2,250 for a like properly modern frame set. Uh, it's got full 105 hydraulic. Um, the wheels are nothing special, and neither are the tyres, but like it's a genuinely really, really nice bike. Um, and it's kind of interesting for me because I don't really tend to favour aero bikes. I'm the total opposite of Simon in that respect, but I think it's kind of won me over. There we go. I haven't tested anything because I'm too busy writing Instagram captions <laughs> to worry myself with such things. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Please do leave any comments or questions on the article on bikecreator.com. Please leave us a positive review, if you think we deserve it, wherever you listen to your podcast. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much, Matthew and Simon. That was a real joy and have a wonderful weekend. And for those of you listening on Monday, have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.